Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Welcome to the Whiskey, Jazz, and Leadership Podcast. Subscribe now so you don't miss a drop of straight talk you can't get anywhere else. We discuss the whiskeys to drink, music to listen to, and what it really takes to be an effective leader. I'm your host, Galen Bingham, the leadership strategist. Tonight's guest, founder and owner of the Tobacco Barn Whiskey Distillery, Scott Sanders. Hey, what you drink? Yeah, I, I love it. You know, one of the things too that that brings to mind is, uh, you know, I've spent 30 years in corporate America uh, working for some of the biggest brands on the planet. And I, I was in ever pursuit of becoming senior vice president of sales of one of those major, major corporations. Uh, in the last position that I had in corporate America, I was actually put in charge of capability building. And it was around training people to do these specific things under pristine circumstances. And that was the job description. That was the role. That's what I was there to do. Uh, but after a while, I shifted into this idea of leadership development. And as I'm thinking about it now, leadership is around how do you understand the capability, but teach and make it okay for your folks to have the capacity to know when do you step outside of these guardrails to do these other things so that we can still deliver the mission, the plan, the you know, the customer uh, objective, whatever the case is, because we still have to get to that endpoint. And so I love the way that you are validating so many things that uh, we have done accidentally. Yeah, and you and you think you do them accidentally? You really were doing them for a reason. You just maybe not didn't understand it, mm. uh, because when you're when you're building capability. You might be building capacity. You just don't understand it. But all the time, every time you're teaching somebody, you know, to do things and then you back off a little bit and then back off more and, back, and you let them fail, even though, you, you know, you could do it better. Than that. That's building capacity because it's it's all about, hey, you have to adjust and do anything because nothing ever goes according to plan. Nothing in business goes according we wrote a business plan. I can tell you, nothing goes according to plan. <laughs> Man, I'll tell you, my business plan is brilliant. You should see my business plan. If things, if if we can execute that business plan, 
uh, we're all going to be incredibly happy. But to your point, a plan never survives the first contact with the enemy. I love that. I love that. I love that. You know, one of the things you said just kind of in passing just now, uh, I'd love to get some more insight about it. You talked about how leaders will do a great job of building capability, but then the wise leaders will back off a little bit and they'll back off a little bit more and they'll let the other person fail, you know, in situations that aren't very uh, treacherous. And then they'll give them a little bit more risk and a little bit more risk uh, rather than stepping in to save the day. And that becomes the key to building capacity. But boy, I tell you, that's really scary when you're the manager allowing your people to fail. It's heck, it's even scary as a parent allowing your child to fail. Uh, but I just sense that that is, that's really the only way to build capacity. Could you, could you help me with that? Is, is that at the core of building capacity? Hey, you have to, because there's a couple things you can't, you know, train in a scenario. And one of them stress. There's a lot of difference between stress I'll just, I'll go back to carrier aviation because that's what I know when there's good weather and this and that, and then stress and combat, two different things. And there's no way to replicate it. Mm. It just absolutely no way. So you have to not, you know, you're not going to let people fail in combat. Don't get me wrong there. But if you, during, I'll say regular operations, you let people not do what you would have done because there, there's always a lot of different ways of doing things. Okay. Let them do it. And then they'll see, okay, maybe I should, uh, maybe I, I, maybe I ought to go this way or, you know, there's simple things on fuel management. So if you, once you take off an aircraft carrier, you're running out of gas. <laughs> so you better know when you're getting, Hey, when are you getting more gas? <laughs> that type of thing. So it's always, now, you never let anybody run out of gas, but okay, you make the decision. You know, how do you want to do this? Do you think you want to tank immediately or do you want to go later? How do you do this? And then if you do it later, what if it doesn't work? What are you going to do now? You know, those type of things. So there's uh, there's various ways that you you work that in. And and you 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 build the stress builds up over time. Uh, so that you work through it. Uh, people used to ask me, well, weren't you afraid coming aboard the carrier? I said, I never thought about it because I was, I was focusing on the training. And in carrier aviation, they teach you to only look at three things, hmm. to look at your, basically, if you're on speed or not, there's a little donut there you look at. They look to make sure that the runway is down the middle because in a carrier, it's a little off center and it's always moving. So you have to keep mm -hmm. that in the middle. And then uh, you have to see where you're landing down there on the ship because there's a, uh, a glide slope thing you're looking at there. So uh, you just look at those three things. Now, once you land and you feel the tug of the wire, then your knees start shaking because <laughs> you're like, oh man, that was, that was terrifying. And anybody that doesn't tell you they they're not, they haven't been afraid landing at night in bad weather. They're just lying through their teeth. It's wow. just, there's just no way you, you get, there's some nights you're like, oh my God, why am I doing this? But <sighs> in the moment you're not, you're just doing it. Wow. I, you know, I, I love again, the way you said the moment you take off is the, is the moment that you begin running out of gas, that you begin running out of fuel. 
And that reminds me of a conversation I had towards the end, towards the beginning of the season, actually the beginning of season three, where we talked with Dave Peacock, who former president of Anheuser-Busch, and he made a, a similar statement. He said that the moment you become CEO is the last day that you will get the truth because the conditions have changed and everyone's gonna be managing their career every time they talk to you. And so you've gotta have some, some mechanisms in place for you to get the truth when, when people are reluctant to share that with you. What are some things that you've learned, perhaps in the military, and you've shared so many great learnings already that have carried through and helped you as you have ventured into owning a distillery. I mean, totally, totally different industries, but I'm sure there are some learnings that, that have just continued to prove to be true. W what are a few more of those? Let's get to the legal structure. Distilling is very regulated in the United States of America. <laughs> and I'll tell you a little funny story. So Sean, my one partner and I, this is out of the 2000s, 10, 11, 12, something there. We said, hey, you know, Dan knows how to make this stuff. And so we got on this thing called the internet, went on this thing, place called Google, and we ordered the, you know, Bourbon Master 5000 or whatever it was. And three weeks later, after gave him our credit card, this thing arrives. We're like, hot diggity dog, let's start making us some bourbon. And then so we open the box up, and there's a little note in there. It says, we just like to inform you that if you attended distilling alcohol in the United States of America, any amount is illegal. <laughs> and, and I still had a security clearance. I'm like, ah, and the first thing I said was, Sean, I am so glad you used your credit card. Because <laughs> that was a true statement. And then uh, <laughs> we boxed the thing up and sent it back to like, ah, shit, didn't even know the rules. And then our friend Dan, who'd been distilling, he said, you dummies, you can't do that. So I get back to piracy. I never wanted to circumvent the rules. I wanted to understand them. So I was fighting pirates. And this is while Iraq and Afghanistan are going on. So this is not warfare. It's basically lawfare. And I had a European Union lawyer and an American lawyer with me at all times and all decisions. And some people could find that constricting. These were the kind of lawyers they would tell you no if they had to, but they would always try to find a way to say yes. So Because I had a uh, international task force, so I had um, staff from all different nations, you know, all over Europe, Turkey, Japan, uh, all over the place. And so uh, I'd find, so I said, hey, can I do this? Can I do that? How to, you know, what's the proper way of doing this? So I never did anything improper, illegal fattening, you know, all the above, you know, type of thing. So I just understood it. And, that, and that's kind of the way we approach our distillery now too, is, you know, what's the right way of doing this? Nobody likes paying taxes, but how do we pay taxes? What's the proper way? How do we count all those type of things? And you just go through it like that. Same thing, anytime you're, when you're in business, and I've always found anybody that tries to cut corners, it doesn't do you any good in the long run, you know, just, understand the rule set, get into them the way you are, and then work it out. Yeah, I, I'll tell you, you are so right in that uh, any shortcut looks good in the, in, in the short run, 
but inevitably it's going to it's going to come back to hurt you it's going to come back no matter what uh, i've never seen anyone who has taken shortcuts uh, I, I haven't seen them sustain because of that yeah i have uh, we do a lot of farmers markets and as i tell people we're just the only legal distillery in our county. There's plenty of distilleries here. <laughs> so I'll go to farmer's markets and there are, the, the moonshiners think I'm the ag extension agent for moonshiners in this county. Like, hey, Scott, what am I doing wrong? My conversion rate's off. What should I be doing? <laughs> you know, and they all have a, you know, five gallon thumper keg using turbo yeast or something, which is, they're not distilling on grain. And so it's a completely different thing. And so, uh, I always tell him, I say, hey, listen, I'll tell you kind of what's going on, but you know, you know what you're doing, you can't do it. <laughs> but wow. hey, I'm not the enforcer, I'm not the feds, I'm not enforcing this, but you know, just so you know, that's not the rule. Well, I thought you could make up to 10 gallons of personal alcohol. So. Wow. <laughs> no, that's beer. <laughs> wow. All right. Well, hey, so I, I in during our conversation, I, I I had to do a little research on this brown juice that I'm enjoying. It's actually called Cat's Eye Distillery, and it's a handcrafted micro distillery. And that's why I had not heard of this before. And um, it is just really delicious. I still don't know the mash build, uh, but I can just tell you that it is just, it's, it's yummy. It's Obtanium Light Whiskey. Um, and like I said, it's some pretty, the Nassif family, uh, owns it. It's just some, some, some tasty stuff. Now, did I, did I hear you right that you're kind of doing, you're kind of in this micro, micro, um, space? Yeah. I think from a release standpoint, we're in the micro category. I think in the production, we might be in the small category. So we do about 6,000 proof gallons a year is what, um, what we do. And we're, we're only releasing about 1,000 right now. Okay. We're at, the, at a step function where we have, uh, not that you have to do this, it's just our business model. We do everything. So we grow the corn. You know, we mash, cook, distill, age, uh, bottle all of it. So, so we can buy bourbon cheaper on the open market and bottle it and sell it to ours. But so it takes a while to get there. And when you're a small distillery, you start out in smaller barrels because um, it's a lot easier to make a five or a 10 or a 30 gallon mistake than a 53 gallon mistake. Mm -hmm. And you learn that mistake earlier in time. So we actually started out in five gallon barrels and, and you, get, uh, you get a decent bar, about 10 months. You know, today I wouldn't say it's decent, but at the time I thought it was pretty good. Uh, and that got us in uh, whiskey advocate as Maryland's bourbon. And we we're mm -hmm. pictured in there. Um, so we, at that point, we know our mash bill was right. And, and our process, we just had to uh, solidify things. So we did one more batch of five-gallon barrels, uh, which if you ever had uh, Hudson baby bourbon, I think they do small barrels too. Okay. Then we went to 30-gallon barrels. Right. We're getting ready to hit our probably about six months or so. We'll be releasing in 53s. But our oldest 53s are about five years and four four months old right now. And so we'll be releasing, you know, five years and nine months or so when those come out. So the highest cost of goods sold, whether us or Brown and Foreman, is the wood. Mm. The barrels are just very expensive. And so yeah. uh, and there's no economies of scale. So 
a 30 gallon barrel costs you know, $20 less than a 53 and it only holds quote half as much or so in, in that range. So um, by you can't run a, a distiller on 30 gallon barrels because you go broke. And so anyways, you, you have to work up to 53s, but you can't do it initially. So, and that's just the way we did it. I'm not saying it's the right way. It's just what we did. Got it. Got it. Well, hey, man, I, I am really, really enjoying this conversation. And so now, I, you know, I, I typically ask this question of, of a lot of my guests, and I think you are uniquely qualified to weigh in on this because the name of this podcast is Whiskey, Jazz, and Leadership. And in my head, those three intersect perfectly. But I, I find a, I, I find that I have a hard time explaining that intersection to other people at the same level of clarity that it, it sits in my head. To you, what is the intersection between whiskey, jazz, and leadership? The intersection is, well, especially for whiskey and jazz, it's about sharing it with friends. You know, what two things just don't go good together? And, and I'll get back to um, running the counter-piracy task force. <clears throat> I got together with a lot of other leaders. We had a little bourbon. <laughs> we didn't have any jazz music going, but, you know, so we would sit down, share a little glass, and we'd talk about uh, kind of the leadership philosophies of how to combat piracy. And, and, and it's great because nobody is for piracy except for the pirates. And so it's, you know, it's kind of, okay, what are your best lessons learned? Which it, so every, it's very, very sharing. So it's very, very collaborative, which is kind of like whiskey. Whiskey is the original crowdsourced product of this nation. Hey, if, you, if you today, if you go to any distiller, everybody loves talking about how they make their whiskey, their bourbon, their whatever it is, because they're passionate about it. And you get it. Now, if you go to the marketing departments, they all stab, they won't even stab you in the back. They'll stab you right in the front, you know, that type of thing. The marketing people, they're a different breed. But the distillers, when you love bourbon or you love whiskey, hey, you're, you're going to share because you know what? There's no magic secrets in there. It's, it's all how you do it. It's your process, your mash bill, where you do it. It's, you can't replicate this stuff. Brown and Foreman can't replicate what Sazerac's doing. It's just, it doesn't work that way. So a mash bill is just a recipe. So, hey, we've all had grandma's cookies. They both taste different. And boy, they were damn good. And, I, you know, one used pecans, one used walnuts, and I ate them both. <laughs> Well, I love it. This has been incredible. Uh, you know, if you guys are listening to this, you, you've gotten, you've received a, a real education to understand what's the difference between whiskey and bourbon. I, I, you know, I, that your explanation is going to be etched and burned into my my memory now. Thank you so much for that. Uh, I love the way that you are bringing in these principles that you've learned. Uh, while you were landing carriers and you were landing planes and and doing this uh, in defense of our country. I take pride in a lot of the leadership things that I've done in the corporate boardroom, but man, it's got to be nothing as compared to doing that when you got people shooting at you or, or trying to take uh, countries. You know, but still, I mean, the, the ramifications are a lot more a lot more grand and a lot more grave 
Uh, and so I just, I just have so much respect for uh, folks who can lead when it really, really matters. So, and then just to bring that into this conversation, I just really appreciate it. As a matter of fact, you know what? If if you've got some more time, I, I want to bring this conversation into our VIP room because uh, I, I want to ask you more questions about what it takes to be an effective leader. And are there some principles that we can come up with that you think are core to being successful, uh, whether you're doing this in the military, whether you're doing this at, at, you know, at your own distillery, uh, whether you're just trying to uh, make today a little bit better than yesterday and, and hopefully in a bit, be in a position to make tomorrow uh, even better than, than, than everything. Uh, but I want to do that in the VIP room. I don't. I don't want to share that for free. So we've been. We've shared all this good stuff for free. Uh, and boy, you got. It's only four bucks to become a VIP, dude. I mean, I don't know what they're doing if they're not gonna. If they're not gonna pay four bucks to get the rest of this conversation, then I, I just. I don't know what to tell you. But man, hey, for now, uh, how can people get a hold of? your juice of the gods if they want to taste some tobacco barn uh, bourbon uh, how can they get a hold of you how can they learn more about you again we're, so we're we're mainly in maryland right now that's just because we distribute that the good news is we sell every bottle we make or put out the bad news is we're not put we're we put out less than a thousand cases last year so it's in maryland we're just at www tobaccobarndistillery.com. It harkens back to when um, every farm around here was a tobacco farm. Now we've converted it to a corn farm now to, to make bourbon from. And maybe when we go to the VIP room, I'll talk a little bit about how bourbon and whiskey in America got its start in the English Reformation. It's wacky how it goes back to Henry VIII. But anyways, um, yeah, so that they can get in touch with us. We are hopefully in a couple of years, we'll have more to, as it comes out here. We'll be probably a, a standard six-year-old bourbon out of a number three char, 53-gallon barrel in, in the mid-Atlantic states here. Right now, you can order us in Maryland and D.C. Uh, we can ship there. And if uh, we are able to mail to military installation. So if somebody's on a military installation, we've, we can mail to any military installation or... If there's a UPS store on a military installation, so as long as it's in the in the 50 states, we can do that. Oh, fantastic, fantastic. Well, hey man, well ra raise your glass. Let, let's let's toast out and uh, and see if we can duck into the VIP room. This has been great. Uh, until next time, cheers. Cheers. Thanks, Galen. Hey, it's not too late. Hit that subscribe button so you're sure to catch the next episode. If you're really enjoying the vibe, leave us a review or become a VIP for guests and show exclusives. Cheers. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.